Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome to this week's episode of Steelers War Room. I'm your host of this weekly show, Matt Peverell, the host of the show that likes to put you in the minds of Kevin Colbert, Omar Khan, Mike Tomlin, and basically the rest, you know, Brandon Hunt and all the Steelers front offices. They look to put together a winning roster in 2022 and beyond. And so this week, I'm actually recording to you, so I apologize for the audio um, inequalities there. I'm recording to you live in a different country. Um, yes, international travel and my day job has brought me to another country. Um, so recording without all my equipment, uh, you know, microphones and my, you know, different computers and notebooks and all the and stats and all the rest of it. But hope you enjoy the show. And really, we're going to look at three draft prospects um, that are really would help reinvigorate this Steelers defense. Of course, this is my first show since we got the awful news about Dwayne House. Um, also wasn't, you know, sort of the hugest fan of him with the Steelers. I didn't hate it, but I, you know, the jury was out for me um, on him. You know, obviously a young man at 25 years old, no matter what the circumstances, and we're hearing things about, you know, drunk women in cars and all the rest of it and all this sort of stuff. But regardless, a young man's lost his life, um, and that's a, it's a real tragedy for his family and obviously for himself and, you know, potentially a, you know, he might have had a redemption career, who knew? Um yeah, so obviously rest in peace to Dwayne Haskins and it's obviously rocked a lot of the Steelers, you know, players and, and it's obviously a big deal as well when you think about, you know, he was down there with Trubitsky and, you know, some of the other people in the offense, including Najee and Chase Claypool and Cody White and I think Rico Bossi was down there and Deontay wasn't. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of the Steelers. Freemuth was down there, you know, and so this is going to affect a lot of those guys. I think Kendrick Green was down there too. Um, but, you know, the Steelers, you know, press on, things do move on. Um, and, and so with, with that, we really looked to two less than three weeks to go to the draft. Um, that was almost in my title, but three weeks to go. So I thought I'd bring you three prospects, um, that we really can look at in terms of the NFL draft coming up in three different positions. So one will be the cornerback position, um, one at the linebacker position, um, and one at the defensive tackle or defensive, more like defensive end is more like a five technique, um, there in these three different players, but. You know, the first one I wanted to kick off with really is Alonte Taylor, um, you know, out of Tennessee. He's just over six foot, almost 200 pounds. I've watched a fair bit of tape on him. I've liked him for a while. He's been consistent in my mocks now for about six months in that sort of, sort of fourth to sixth round. Um, he's starting to move up the boards. And you watch his tape, and it's really interesting in terms of he's not targeted, you know, a hell of a lot. Um you know, with, with the types of plays, you just see energy, you know, he's looking for the ball, he's looking to shed blocks, even though someone might think they've got him, you know, he's always near the ball, if there's a sort of a run that gets through a couple of levels, he's near there, um, you know, you might say, well, is he making a play, but, you know, he's he's playing this cornerback position, um, I wonder whether he's got any um, possibility of doing some playing in some safety roles in, in certain defenses, he's really good in zone and press coverage, which I think really fits with what the Steelers want to do, more so the zone, um, um, but he can do he can do stuff in man. He's not afraid of making a hit. He's not afraid afraid of making a tackle. He flies into the ball. Um, sometimes a little bit, I think, to his detriment almost. When I saw him on tape, there were a couple of moments where he was a bit quick with it. Um, he definitely, if he gets hold of that football ball hawk, he he can take it for a pick six. Really physical tackler, aggressive. You know, he's he's someone that's got this a lot of versatility, uh, competitive toughness as well, and I think that's really important. Um, you know, I think he developed over the course of his career at Tennessee, um, which was really, really important as well. Uh, you know, and according to the draft network, they felt that he was one of the best corners in the SEC. And I think that was really, you know, that was shown in when, with the way he was targeted uh, as well in terms of, you know, 
uh, you know, the amount of passes that went his way, they're often on tape. You could see that the quarterback was just simply, the opposing quarterback was just not throwing it to the wide receivers this this way. You know, I watched a lot of the t- film from, which is available on YouTube, um, against South Alabama with, with Tolbert, Jalen Tolbert, who I'm going to have to do a bit of a look into the draft coming up again because he really stood out on tape. But you saw the amount of times that Tolbert wasn't really targeted when he was marked up against Taylor, um, you know, and, and so obviously that you know the opposing quarterback saw a bit of a challenge there. He's been compared to Shaqu- Shaquille Griffin. Um, that's a like for like comparison on the draft network, which I think is a pretty decent um, comparison there. And that's the Shaquille Griffin that got drafted by the Seahawks um, in terms of the decent cornerback. He's got great length um, as well. His grades out of a hundred, so. Um, in the draft network, they have grades of so 85 and above qualifies you for the first round, 80 and above qualifies you for the second round. He has third round value. His average grade, consensus grade, was a 77.25. He had a high of 79 and a low of 76. So he's pretty, that's a pretty good sort of summation on where sort of he's at. If you look at his college career as well, five tackles for a loss over the course of his career, 162 tackles, zero and a half sacks so or half a sack, four INTs, 15 pass defense, three force fumbles. Um, in 2021, he had his best season by far where he had six pass defenses. Uh, you know, so in that, in, in terms of that, that's really when you look at it, um, you know, a, a good chunk, more than, over, more than 40% of those pass defenses. He had 60 tackles. So again, you, you, you know, over the 40% of his tackles um, as well. One tackle for a loss. Uh, and two interceptions, which is pretty good. That's half his interceptions during his college career. And, you know, and so that kind of gives you an indication, you know, to a player that's really improving, you know, going into going into the draft there. Uh, for, as I say, from from that perspective, when you also look at the some of his stats um, as well, there in terms of you know defensive grades, you know he he definitely moved up. Um, as the season as the season went on, you know, and I think that that's a really positive, uh, a really really positive thing for him in how he's going to be thought of, you know, when he comes to the NFL, you know, and and how you know teams might look at him and go, well, he might have been really low, he might have been enough drafted free agent, you know, on our board uh, prior, you know, to this season, but now he's sort of in the mix there. Um, you know, he had a season low on PFF grade of 57.7 against Navy. He had a season high um, against SNU of 80.1. He had 76 against UConn, 79 against Rice um, as well. He had a 71 point, uh, no, sorry, that's, they're the, <laughs> they're the, the actual um, wrong numbers there. Sorry, he had a season low of 47 against Missouri, um, and then he had a season high of 87.6 against TNTC, um, 64.6 against Pitt. He had an 81.2 against the University of Kentucky. He had a great game against that. He had a, he had a pick six. His PFF grade um, there, you know, in, in college as well, um, was basically it moved up from 64.4, you know, in terms of when he started his college career in 2018, then went to 63.3 in 2019, then had a low of um, 56.4 in 2020, uh, and then had a season high of 83.1 in 2021. So that goes back to what I was just saying there around the fact that 
really he really came on and developed um, over the course of his college career. And I think that's what's going to be exciting to an NFL team who says, hey, we might get him in the third, fourth, or fifth round. But this is a guy that once he gets to know our defense, might be able to make some plays. And I think that's a really, really positive thing when you look at Alante Taylor's draft stock as well. So the next player um, that I really wanted to look at this week, uh, definitely um, actually some of the stats that I sort of shared there, but that's uh, Logan Hall, um, defensive and defensive tackle, ranked number 50 on Daniel Jeremiah's um, you know, top 50 prospects in the latest round. He'd actually dropped two spots. Um, that's not, you know, it's not a crazy issue. He's someone though that, you know, could they do... He, you know, Daniel Jeremiah recently said in one of his podcasts that he felt that Logan Hall could still go at the end of the first, early in the second. Um, and, I, and I think so as well, particularly with some of the 4-3 teams, if they're looking at it and a Travis Jones um, from UConn doesn't necessarily fit what they want to do. They're looking for someone exterior with a bit more size. Um, six foot six, 283 pounds right now out of Houston. In his college career, you know, he had 97 tackles according to Sports Reference. That's um, the college arm of Pro Football Reference. 19 half tackles for a loss, seven sacks, one pass defense, one fumble recovery. Um, in 2021, his best, you know, his last season um, in college, six sacks. So that's six out of his seven sacks came, you know, in, in 2021, 13 tackles for a loss out of his 19 and a half and 47 tackles out of his 97. So he really had a career year. He's a junior coming out of Houston um, as well, but that's a really terrific sort of you know, entryway, um, if you like, into the NFL from that perspective. Um, Logan Hall has a second round value. He scrapes in with an 80.67, according to the Draft Network. He had a high grade of 82 from um, Parsons, and he had a low grade of, he had an equal low grade of 79.5 from Sanchez and Kyle Krabs, and Kyle Krabs leads that scouting group. So not that bad there. Caught a comparison to Jack Crawford from the 2020, the 2012 um Oakland Raiders uh, pick there in the, in the 2012 draft. He's a five technique that can fit, you know, all different sort of schemes. Um, you know, the lack of mass apparently is one of the things that might be a little bit um, challenging uh, for him there, um, you know, particularly on the inside and, and rundowns. I think he could put on size though, um, you know, but they do say he's got the, you know, the Draft Network's draft profile of him says that by years two or three, he could be someone that could really make up, you know, 60% of the snaps for teams and who, you know, that want to take advantage of his balanced skill set. That's what I see when I look at him on tape as well. Um, you know, he's played against some decent colleges. He's got some decent first step explosiveness. Um, there from a guy like his size, I thought he did pretty well um, when you've seen him in any of the, the combines and pro days and all that sort of stuff. He's got the right length as well. He's a sound run defender. Um, he's got heavy hands, so that's a lot of hand power. So that makes it really hard for blockers. Um, and they're not easily displaced. And I think that does show up on tape. Um, effort motor. Like you see that on tape. He's he's really energetic to get to the football. He battles through the whistles. Um, you know, the draft network really cited his energy in pursuit and he's, you know, um, never passing up an opportunity, fires off the ball with intent. I think that's really clear. Um, the football IQ is might be something um, 
that they sort of said that's probably the reason in the jump in his production and his performance. Um, you know, so this is one that might intrigue some teams. And, you know, if he's someone that the Steelers have actually spoken to, I'd be intrigued to know um, what they thought of that. And if he was to be selected by the Steelers in the second or the third round, um, if he fell that far as, as the third, I'd be really interested to see what happens there. And he's a guy, like, if they're going to skip a Devontae Wyatt, if they're going to skip a Jordan Davis or, like, Jordan Davis isn't available, you know, even Perry on Winfrey, if they decide or that Perry on Winfrey goes before Logan Hall. Logan Hall, you know, starts to really rocket up that board there. So um, excited for that uh, in terms of, you know, looking at him. But he's a te- he's also a player that I could see at any of the teams in our, you know, conference drafting as well. Probably not now um, that you've seen some of the signings from the Ravens um, as well but and where they're picking in the different in the draft as well. But he, he is someone that you should really have on your radar. He's someone as well that I could see if he doesn't really necessarily pan out completely um, in the NFL with his first team. Maybe the Steelers go after him later on. Um, but yeah, he can do anything in a 4-3, 5 technique and 3-4 um, interior gaps and he can rush the passer. Um, and so this is a guy that I think is just going to be really versatile by the time that he makes it, you know, into the NFL. I think that's that's where teams are going to really love, you know, that, that versatility, that size, that strength. Um, so if you look at his grades as well, he, he was one that had the season low of 57.7 against Navy, season high against SMU of 80.1. Rice, he had 79.3. Cincinnati, he had a 71.8 grade. I just flagged that because obviously, you know, people are pretty aware of the Cincinnati. Um, in terms of snaps, he... Played um, run defense uh, on 738 snaps in four years in college. Um, in 217 of those were in 2021. He played 800 snaps in pass rush, 296, which was his career high by over 100 um, in 2021 as well. That that's pretty cool from from that perspective. His uh, run grade, um, his defensive grade went from a 54.4 in 2018 to an 83.4 in 2021. It was 85.6 in 2020, but he didn't play that many snaps. Um, his run defense grade went from 55.4 in 2018 to a 78.0 in 2021, consistently rising um, as well. His tackle grade went from a 60.2 to a 81.5, um, you know, in those four years in college. His pass rush grade went from a 57.8 to an 84.9. And in fact, in 2020, it was 90.2. So we had massive jumps. Um, and even his coverage grade went up from 60 uh, in 2020 and 2019 to 62.5. So even that improved um, over the course of his, of his college career. So inc- really incredible performance, I think, from, from in that respect, um, you know, from Logan Hall. And I think that's what was going to make him attractive um, to some, you know, NFL teams when it comes to draft day. But with that, we're going to take a break on Steel's War Room. Join me for part two. Um, we're going to talk my my next prospect um, and a couple of other little nitbits before we get, um, before we round out the show and we're only a couple of weeks away from the NFL Draft 2022. <laughs>
And we're back on Steelers War Room. I'm your host of this weekly show, Matt Peverell, the host of the show that likes to put you in the minds of Kevin Colbert, Omar Khan, Mike Tomlin, Brandon Hunt, and all of the Steelers front office as they look to put together a winning roster in 2022 and beyond, a roster that really is starting to take some shape after free agency. Um, we've seen that with the Miles Jack acquisition. We saw that with the Trubitsky acquisition. Um, we saw that with the Levi Wallace acquisition. Um, Jason Hassenhauer signed his tender in the last 24 hours to when I'm recording this podcast so probably 48 hours uh, by the time this podcast goes to live you know live to air on your Wednesday afternoon um, you know it, it's sort of quite funny I'm usually forward in time but I'm actually recording this podcast in a different different country in Asia um, and so it's it's quite awkward I'm, I apologize for any audio issues I am away from my usual microphone setup um, the way I display everything on my big monitors I'm having to record this off my phone and look at different notes and um, you know all the rest of it. So this is a bit different to how I usually record the podcasts. And so hopefully the quality is still there. And hopefully um, you enjoyed part one where we looked at Alonte Ta- Taylor, corner, cornerback out of Tennessee, um, and Logan Hall, the, def- the defensive tackle, defensive end out of Houston. Two guys, one, you know, Logan Hall's a top 50 prospect, according to Daniel Jeremiah in this draft, someone that you could see late in the first, potentially, you know, early to mid in the second. Um, hopefully, you know, he might have been sitting there for the Steelers if we haven't picked it defensive tackle or defensive end. Um, and then, you know, we're going to have the next prospect that I'm going to talk about in Quay Walker out of Georgia, the linebacker, someone that's really forgotten when you think about the, you know, Georgia defense, someone that, I've you know, has been on my radar for a while, but he's someone that, you know, you sometimes see in the fourth round, I've seen him mock to the Steelers, you know, back in January mock drafts. He's someone that, you know, you do sometimes see in the second, you know, there's a great list of, you know, linebackers, um, you know, in, in this draft, um, you know, guys like your Nicobe Deans, your Devin Lloyds, your, um, you know, Chad Moomers, who's really up there and really rocketing up, was a standout from the combine. Then you've got your Leo Chanel's, your Jojo Domans, your Channing Tindall's, your Troy Anderson's, um, you know, your Darian Beavers, um, Brian as mowers, and then you have Quay Walker. So you've got, like, I've just listed off almost 10 names. Like, there's some linebacker depth in this draft. But Quay Walker is someone that obviously played in a Georgia defense that, you know, really had a standout year. He was a four-star recruit coming out of Chris County High in the 2018 class. Um, according to 247 Sports, he was the number two outside linebacker nationally um, and number 31 overall prospect and the number six recruit in Georgia. He led Chris Country to a 9-2 and two season um, as well that year. Um, and he made the USA Today 2017 or Georgia All-USA second team defense. He's an uber-athletic and ranging linebacker. That was the description for him um, on the draft network. His impact is felt in the run game, um, in coverage and impression the quarterback. He didn't start a game until the 2020 season um, before 2021 and the lack of his experience um, leaves his, you know, potential, you know, open for growth and processing ability open for growth. And so, so that's something that if there's a team that's going to criticize him for that, that be, might be, uh, another team might see that as upside. So one team's criticism might be another team's upside. And so, you know, the draft network labeled him as a you know in a, as a four three alignment. Um, their multiple front. I still think he can do some versatile things in the way the Steelers use their defense. He played his best game against Tennessee in twenty twenty one. Worst game against Missouri. Um, you know, six foot four, two hundred and forty one pounds. I think he's got a little bit more size on that potentially from the combine. But that's the numbers that the draft network are reporting. Um, they have him at 240 on Sports Reference, Pro Football References, college site as well. When you look at Quay Walker as well, he's a guy that, you know, 
his instincts can be a bit hit or miss. And, and I think, and that's what the draft network said. And I sort of checked that on some of the tape that I could pull up pretty quickly on him. And I think you do see that, but I think that will improve over time. And with the right coaching in the right room with the right talent, and you think about learning off like a Miles Jack, even a Devin Bush, um, you know, from that perspective, run defending, um, pretty keen on doing that. He can leverage run gaps really, really well. Um, he'll use his hands to swipe past blockers of the football flexibility. He's got loose hips and that helps him to change directions. That's really key. You know, in this linebacker position, change direction, loose hips that allows him to do things. He's a guy that really stands out on tape. And when I was listening to NFL draft heads, uh, tape heads, sorry, which is a special draft focused podcast that they do with guy from NFL films and another guy that spent 20 years as the radio caller for the jets. Um, you know, those guys referenced him as someone that may fall out of the first, even the second, but he's someone that, you know, might be, you know, he's one of those guys that then teams reflect back on and, you know, in the redraft do overs and should they have got him. Um, he was one of the main communicators for Georgia's defense. So he's got some leadership there. Can, can call out audibles, defensive line shifts pre-snap. That could be good for the Steelers. You know, Miles Jack might not be the long-term solution of more than three or four, when I say long-term, more than four, three, four, five years. Um, maybe Devin Bush, they don't pick up his tender and maybe he's gone. And so, you know, having a guy that might be able to do that is really um you know, really valuable, I think, in a guy that's learned and developed and moved and um, versatility. He played 322 snaps at linebacker in the box, um, but he can take multiple snaps on the defensive line. That's what's going to be attractive to him from 4-3 teams. But equally, I think it gives you opportunities to use him in sub-packages, to use him in particular formations. Um, you know, the... the Draft Network gave him a overall third round grade of 78.70. Um, he had a low of 75 from Sanchez, a high from Parsons. Um, Marino and Krabs both gave him who I listened to on the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and um, Joe Marino. Uh, they both gave him a 77, so I think that's pretty fair. Um, when you look at what he did in college as well, um, 137 tackles, 11 tackles for a loss, five sacks, three pass defenses. In 2021, he had six and a half tackles for 5.5 tackles for a loss, one and a half sacks. So he had almost um, 40% of his snaps, sacks. He had more than half his tackles for a loss and he had almost half his career tackles. So he was someone that you really saw join this Georgia defense. Um, as I say, he's not someone that necessarily has the three years of full proven performance, um, you know, and, and, from that perspective, but you know, he's a guy um, that only played three games in 2018. Then he played 11 games in 2019, then 10 in 2020 and 13 in 2021 um, and consistently got better as we've talked about, you know, so far through his profile. And then when you look at some of his sort of grades through this, through this season, uh, their PFF had him season low against Kentucky um, at 51.1. They said that was his worst game. They said his best game um, there was against Arkansas with an 83.2. Uh, his season, he didn't do, they had him move the 54.6 in the first game against Alabama um, in the college football playoff, 53.1 against Michigan, and then 63.2 um, against Bama um, in in the, the college football playoff finale. He had a 72.1 overall grade for 2021, according to PFF, a 73.6 in 2018, but he played three games. And then, you know, a 59 and a 60 in 29 and 2019 and 2020. Um, when you look at his overall season grades, He's played 1,181 snaps in college, according to PFF. He's played 444 of those 
in the run is a run defender um, and 198 of those 444 came in 2021 he played 188 from a pass rush perspective 114 of those so clearly the vast majority came uh, in 2021 and then he played 549 coverage snaps with almost 300 of those coming in 2021 his run defense um really his defense overall grade we talked about what how that's transitioned um but 73.6 in 2018 and then 72.1 again in 2021 just to recap he had a tackle grade of 90.6 in 2021 and he was consistently in the 80s throughout the rest of his college career um which is terrific um pass rush 69.8 in 2020 after being a 58 in 2018 50 61 sorry in 2019 and 58 in 2020 so you're seeing a consistent improvement in his pass rush grade on pff and then his coverage grade um that's it's funny like 2018 and 2021 are the standout years but basically he went from starting off in 72 in 2018 which we've got to take with a pinch of salt because it was three games and then moved to a 60 in 2019 a 53.7 in 2020 and a 70.6 in 2021 so again you're seeing it on the player developing and i think over the course of their career and that's really what these three players have in common that we that I've talked about on today's podcast. These are three players that can reinvigorate the Steelers' defense. You know, Alonte Taylor, the Steelers don't necessarily need a starting corner. Um, you now, you might think they do. I wouldn't hate it if they, you know, go and select an Andrew Booth with pick number 20 or Roger McCreary in round three. But if they wait till round four or beyond, Alonte Taylor is a solid pick. I think it's better than going after a good rich from Clemson for example, or even a Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska, who I do like, or even a Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati. I think Alonte Taylor, when you watch the tape, he offers more there than what the the profiles might say so far. Then you look at a guy like Logan Hall, and while, yes, he's probably a second to a third round pick, the run that's going to happen on interior defensive linemen and defensive ends means, and particularly guys that might be a bit versatile like him, that starts to make him rocket up the board. And that makes him a guy that, again, can he help the Steelers' defense? You know, do we really want to pursue Wormley? Is the Davis brothers going to be good enough? You know, when you when you look at these sorts of names on the board, you sort of sit there and go, well, what are they doing? Is he someone that can really learn off a guy like Montrevious Adams and understand what it means to be in the NFL and not have to rotate around teams? Um, so if he's someone, again, that might fall, you know, if there's a delay on interior defensive linemen, if the run happens on wide receivers and O-linemen, is he someone, and quarterbacks even, maybe he's someone that may, does make it into early the third. Maybe the Steelers even look at trading up if someone like that's on the board. These are some of the things that I wanted people to be thinking about because we have no idea about the draft picks, but we do have an idea of what where the Steelers could find value. And these are the sorts of prospects. The other thing I should have mentioned with George, Quay Walker as well, even though, um, you know, he does have these mocks anywhere between the second to the fourth round. You know, some people say, don't be surprised if he scraped into the first. He is the 33rd best prospect on Daniel Jeremiah's top 50, which I think is pretty cool. And I think some of that lies in the raw, the untapped performance with him. But Quay Walker's another one. Like, if he fell to the third or fourth, you would not hate to get that player. That would not be a regrettable pick for the Steelers. And I know that's one thing for me to say and be all Nostradamus, but the, the fact remains is that this is a guy that played for Georgia, played in a winning defense, knows the importance of everyone performing their role. You know, he you think about the quality of that defense. This guy was calling plays at times. Um, you know, he understands it. He understands the audibles. He was playing against top tier competition, um, you know, and, and in, for Georgia there. So I think that's really exciting. But look, I guess a couple of final comments as we head into the NFL draft, you know, I think still fans, 
you know, you've got to think about what, how, what a proactive free agency we had. You've got to think about the picks last year. Not everyone, no, no one really, people were criticizing a damn more. People criticized a louder milk. And I think he even did better than what people thought. You know, people criticized a Quincy Roche. People criticized him even after the pick. Um, he's found a spot for himself with the Giants. Um, people criticized Kendrick Green and they still criticize Kendrick Green. Uh, they criticized Kendrick Green for where he was picked, like Terrell Edmonds, not not originally at the start because of his play. And so you look at where the Steelers got started. People even criticize picking Pat Freeman if they're not Creed Humphrey. Sure, Creed Humphrey wouldn't have been wouldn't have been a worse pick than Pat Freemuth. But Pat Freemuth would have been the top tight end in that draft, you know, had Kyle Pitts not been around. And you can say that, well, you know, that's ifs and buts and maybes. But the reality is is that Kyle Pitts is a wide receiver in a tight end's body. And the other thing about it is that Steelers had a need at tight end, in my view. They st- And, you know, now they don't have to rely on an Ebron. Now they can, they've let Gentry develop, you know, to all of our... I mean, Gentry is a perfect example of this. No one thought Gentry was going to be anything, you know, heading into the last season. I'll look at him now. Um, and so Steelers have filled a need at a key position that will help a, you know, it helped even Big Ben, but it will help a Trubitsky who uses a tight end. It will help a rookie quarterback, which I've said consistently every couple of shows, you know, for almost a year now since he was drafted, that, you know, that taking him in that year allowed him to develop, allowed him to understand the work ethic from Ben Roethlisberger and allowed him to develop in time so that he becomes a real asset, um, you know, for and comes on and has developed and you know a feel for the game understands the game proven performer by the time we get at that rookie quarterback and we can make the most of that rookie deal but with that that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Seals Warren I promise I'll make it up next week with a bit of a bit of a longer show but we have made it to the half an hour point I did really want to bring you these three players next week um, one of the guys I definitely want to look at is one of my favorite wide receiver prospects in this draft just because I like the way he plays um, in Wondell Robinson um, I had him there I think and and so I had him there um, to really talk about him this week, um, but I knew that I wouldn't just get enough time for how much I want. I would like to give you guys a bit of an insight into what I'm seeing from him on tape and where he could be valued for the Steelers if they pick two wide receivers, which is something that um, you know Brian Anthony Davis talked about on last week's preview. Uh, but that um, hope you're all having a great great week, uh, and I hope you all have a happy Easter. Go Steelers!